you're putting this into your normal puritanical context and not my Dan, who's really only 17, honestly, even though he's becoming an old man, right? You're not going with me. I have insurance, you know, doctor. I could send you my Blue Cross card number, whatever that is, and we could really, we could really do some work here. And he says, can you pull over to the side, please? And I say, uh, okay. Hello, welcome to The Bitterest Pill. It's Dan Class. I'm in my garage. Now, you know, okay. It's in my garage. It's December of 2012. As I record this. Yes, it is. And you know what? Actually, let me check the date. Because, yeah, okay. So I'm recording this on, what, Wednesday, December 19th. Which means... If the Mayans have anything to say about it, right? We, we've really got about, about two days. So I thought I would, you know, check in with you. Uh, kind of get caught up before the end of the world. Just in case, right? I don't want there to be a lot of uh, unspoken whatever between us. I feel you have, uh, well, you don't actually have a right to know what I've been up to. You really, I mean, really? I don't, you know. I don't know what voyeuristic uh, quirk that you're exercising by even listening to these recordings, <laughs> right? I'm not qualified to analyze. How, do, how does that make you feel? Hmm, I see. But it's been a while since we spoke, and it's been a How did I start that sentence? It's been a while since we've spoken. Yeah, okay. And, um... You know, a few things to discuss. Now, the first thing is, and I have felt very cheated by this situation. So uh, every morning, my kids and I are late. No matter what time I get my kids up, we're late for school. And I think that's because if I get them, they, they really, uh, they should be at school at, at uh, six. They should be. Hi, how are you? It's Dan class. Um, they should be at school at eight. They really honestly should be at school at 10 of eight. They're usually at school at 10, 15 after 8, no matter what I do. Now, if I get them up at 6.30, we get there at 10 after 8. If I get them up at 6, we get there at 10 after 8. If I get them up at 20 of 7, we seem to get there at 10 after 8. That's just when we, that's when we get there. And I need to accept that. I need to apparently stop fighting it because I've been fighting it ever since my daughter started going to the same school as my son. See, that was really, let's face it. And I'm, and I'm not blaming it on, on any gender thing. It's just the difference between those two. My son gets ready. My daughter, uh, okay. So as is usual, um, we were running late one morning and, and I wasn't accepting the fact that we were late. I'm trying to think if there was something specific we were trying to get to. But but so sometimes what we do, and how do I even describe? Now, you know we live under the flight path. Uh, sometimes quite literally at, at Los Angeles International Airport. And so the way the topography, the local landscape is situated is to get from where we live to my kid's school, um... You have to go around these bluffs, these cliffs, essentially. And so you have to either go a little west-ish and then go down that way and then head back east. You have to go east-ish a little and then around and then go back west. And we used to go east-ish 
to go north to go right towards the mall at the bottom of the hill. Now, you know, we have a mall at the bottom of our hill. We used to go that way. But because the way that light is situated and there's really literally a mall at the bottom of that hill and just the traffic patterns, it's basically it it requires because we're going east and then down and it requires a left turn. And if you're a parent or a commuter or whatever, you know, the worst thing, that, right, in your commute in city, quote unquote, city traffic is a left turn. Because no matter what, that's where things are going to get messed up. So if I go the other way, what we usually do is we cut through our neighborhood to get out to the main road. And, and then it's all pretty much right turns from there on out, right? We go past the school east-west-wise, and then double back a little bit. So we go through the neighborhood, and I cut through. I get. I take Manchester to uh, Lincoln. Sometimes we jog a little bit around, uh, you know, what do you call it, Bristol Farm? You understand? And then we end up at the top of the hill at Lincoln that goes down the hill. And then sometimes, but see, from the top of this hill, I can see traffic. And if there's a lot of traffic, which is almost always the case, we cut through this thing called Playa Vista. Now, I think, you, you, depending on how long you've been listening to these conversations, these whatever they are, therapy sessions, doctor, um, Playa Vista is a housing development that was built on wetlands. And basically, there were this, this reserve of wetlands that animals used to live on. And then a certain big movie company wanted to build a studio there, and they greased a lot of palms, and then they moved to Glendale. And it opened up for this development. So now there's this big development here in the wetlands. Now it's all built on uh, methane reserves. It's a big potential fart explosion at Playa Vista. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's all brand new. We know people that live there. There's a coffee bean and tea leafery right there. A pink berry right there. Never been there. You know what I mean, but it's literally built on a cauldron of fart gas that someday is going up in flames. But to add some, you know, some spice to our lives, we cut through there in the morning, because if we cut through there, it's a lot faster than going the regular way. Okay. Even now that they built some kind of new uh, elementary school there, we do have to wait for the human duck crossing every once in a while. But then we go. So the other day, and we're getting back to me feeling cheated. We're very close. We're, we're two blocks away from me feeling cheated. So we're cutting through Playa Vista and we go past the new elementary school. And you know what really irks me too is um, here, slight tangent. Where you live, is has it suddenly become popular? You know how People um, love to carry their Starbucks around. That seems to have actually phased out. I don't notice as many people with Starbucks as I used to. What I notice now, it's an interesting shift, is women especially, because I never see guys do this. I almost never actually see guys walking around with coffee. It's almost always women. But now I see the women not carrying Starbucks, carrying open coffee mugs from their home. Now, is that some social signal that they have one of those one-pot gourmet, not one-pot, you know what I mean? Like those things, 
what do you call those? Because we don't have one because I don't want one because I don't drink. You know what I mean? You know what I mean, right? You can't, right? You can't buy three bags of different flavors coffee. You, you have to have unique coffee every day. And so you buy it in the little pre-ordered cup. And the one pre-measured cup probably costs like $7. You're actually probably spending more now drinking coffee at home than you were. But they're, they always have kind of an unpronounceable German-esque name. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about because you either got one for Christmas last year or you gave one for Christmas last year or you're hoping for one for Christmas this year. So that's the new thing is these irritating women walking around with open coffee mugs driving their kids to school, walking their kids to school when we're trying to cut through fart town. Now, what really annoys me is when I see people at my kid's school and there's this one mom, she's annoying anyway. But I see her with the open cup, and I know for a fact that they drive to school. So she's driving her children to school with an what? An open coffee cup full of hot coffee without a lid? Do we learn nothing from the McDonald's debacle? So we're going through methanotopia. And what we do is we kind of scoot around the back right past the elementary school, behind, along, kind of along the side of the coffee teen and bee leafery. And then you have to turn at the end of the park. There's a little park, little park. And then you take a right. And then, but from there, then you can just jet across the main road towards the school. Now, this is my interpretation of what happened. And, I'm, and maybe my mind is now filling in things that didn't really happen. You're going to have to work with me on this. So we're at the park stop and we stop and then you, it's really a quick little just jog onto the little thing. And then your final right turn, we are right in. So I'm coming up to the intersection where I have to make that final little right turn in Playa Vista before jetting across the main road. Okay. So I'm just about to turn right. And I see what I assumed at the time was a security guard standing in the middle of the street. And I, I don't know what he's doing, but he's standing in the middle of the street, in the middle of the street that I'm about to turn onto. So I don't know what's going on, right? And I think the kids and I are in the big, right? We're having a big conversation about what time I'm picking them up or what time I'm not picking them up or what song Jonathan Colton sings that they want to hear. And they're arguing over, you know, Ikea versus Scooter Town or Stroller Town or whatever it is. We're having some sort of conversation and I'm seeing a, what I assume is a security guard in the middle of the road. And the next thing you know, he's making eye contact with me and he's pointing to the sidewalk. And he's walking in front of the car to block my path. So, uh, right? I don't what, what What is happening? So I roll down the window. I turn off the radio and I say, hi. And he says, can you pull over to the side, please? And I say, uh, okay. Are you pulling me over? And he said, yes. And I look at his uniform and he's LAPD. So I realized that, yeah, he's pulling, he's pulling me over. He's, I'm being pulled over by a guy on, on foot. 
by a guy standing in the middle of the road at Playa Vista where I'm literally 10 feet from school. I almost made it. And this guy with his index finger is pulling me over. Now his partner is standing on the sidewalk writing some other poor guy a ticket. And ahead of that poor guy is actually two squad cars. But you can't see the squad cars from where I started this mystery experience of wondering why there's a security guard standing in the middle of the road. Now, he, of course, has the requisite attitude of a guy whose job it is to pull people over with his index finger. So he's not, I mean, he's not having a great morning either. Because, I, I mean, listen, I have no idea what the training is for the LAPD, really, like in detail. But I'm fairly sure that they have to study things like laws, regulations, procedures. They have to go on the gun range and shoot their firearm. Probably psychological testing. They have to run and jog and jump and leap. They probably have to do a lot of paperwork. And this poor guy, he doesn't even get to like pull me over in his car. He doesn't even get to put on the siren or the lights or everything. He's just standing in a private, almost gated community, 10 feet from a coffee place, and is pulling people over with his index finger. So, of course, I've got to now fish the license and the registration and the, 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 and the proof of insurance or whatever out. Now, obviously, my license is where it always is. I keep it in my pocket. That's not a big deal. My registration is at the bottom of the glove box, which my son is sitting in front of. My son, who, you know, little Hudson, my daddy may now make an announcement. He's my size now, except he's my size with a, right, a gigantic backpack in front of him and his lunch bag and his knees are around his chin and he's reading The Hobbit or something. I don't know what he's doing. So he's not, he's only slightly paying attention. My daughter's in the back seat. I don't think she's even, I'm being pulled over by a guy's finger and they're not even, they don't even, and I'm like, Hudson, you, I got, you, I need to get in there, man. So he, you know, confirms my address and writes up the thing and da 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 da, da whatever. And he, he claims that uh, he pulled me over because I rolled through the stop sign. And at the time, I didn't even realize it. And this is maybe the part that I'm just rationalizing. Like, I, I don't know if I would have rolled through the stop sign if you hadn't been standing in the middle of the road. And I was so busy wondering, why is there a guy standing in the middle of the road? Why is there a guy standing in the middle of the road? Oh, he's okay. So this is just what I need as a ticket. So I take, you know, he gives me and I take it and I drop off the kids. And then the other day I'm looking at the ticket and the, and he has circled on there the court that I guess, you know, each ticket is assigned to a certain court. I mean, we live in L.A., so it's not just like your neighborhood court. God only knows where it is. But I'm searching because basically I just want to pay the fine. I want to sign up for traffic school. I'll do online traffic school, whatever, and get it done. And nowhere on the ticket does it because it says, well, you know, if you are not going to plead if you're not going to contest it, if you're not going to go to court, you got to pay the fine and then sign up for traffic school. And nowhere on the ticket does it say how much I have to pay to get for the thing with the, 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 you know, they call it bail. Nowhere does it say how much I have to pay for the bail for the ticket. So I call 
I call, you know, one, two, one, three, whatever, whatever it is to L.A., you know, the county clerk's office or superior court or traffic court or whatever court. I don't know. It's on the ticket. And I call them. And it's an automated service. And you put in your citation number. And, you know, the first three times you do that, it doesn't recognize the citation number. Or something. But, but ultimately, I get to a recording that says your citation is not in our service yet. Please wait for 21 days for your infraction to reach our system, at which time you can access all ba 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 Now listen, I know how I operate. I know that in 21 days, I'm not going to remember to follow up on a traffic ticket that I got 21 days ago. Because in 21 days, it's going to be like January 14th, Who know, right? So I go online to pay your parking ticket, LASuperiorCourt.com, whatever, whatever. And I put my citation, write my citation number into that three times and it finally accepts it. And it tells me blah, 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 21 days. Listen, in 21 days, are you kidding? This is how they get you. They don't even have the decency to pull you over in their car. To pull up along behind you and flash the red lights. They don't they don't have the decency to give you that chance of spotting the black and white and getting your act together. They stand in the middle of the street as a form of entrapment. They hypnotize you with like he's right? Is that a security guy? Is that LAPD? Is that guy like lost and is on his way to the mall at the bottom of the hill? What is going? Oh, you're pulling and they give you a ticket. And then it's like, ha ha ha, you can't pay the ticket today. You have to wait an arbitrary amount of time. That's how they get you. That's how they raise. That's how they raise revenue for the policeman's balls. If you know what I mean. So. So that's that. I mean, that, you know, that's that. Now, Oh, wait, I got to stop because I didn't plug in my computer and now I got to plug in my computer because we're talking. What, you know what? Hold on. I got to go in the house. Hold on. I'll be right back. Oh, my God. I'm such a liar because I just said I'll be right back. And actually what I did is I went in the house and I realized that it was uh, about lunchtime. So since two seconds ago in your world, I have eaten lunch, showered, shaved, argued with the dog, recharged the computer, although the cord is here. So, so we're back. And... and we're back, but I'm not sure what to get into next. Although, let me say one thing. So, every once in a while, someone will um, write me an email since the quote-unquote premium pill thing went down and say, blah, 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 you know, I've really enjoyed the show uh, and I've, you know, uh, good luck with the, your life. And then there, there's definitely sort of this sense of that they're shaking my hand, patting me on the back, wishing me well, and then never expecting to see me again. Like some graduation has happened that they think I initiated and I don't know what you're talking. Listen, so since that all happened, obviously I haven't recorded a new show in a couple of weeks and I've been putting out the old shows, but I got to tell you something. So I think it's fairly, I can't stop doing this. I can't, I really can't. I can't afford it. It drives me crazy when I don't podcast. When you and I don't get together, Sliding my microphone around. When we don't get together, I, I go a little nutty. Is I really need to do this. So the, the, the bitter, I never, I don't, I mean, I've joked around forever about 
killing the show. But the truth is, I'm the I'm not uh, the bitterest pill in some form or another. I assume is going to go on into the foreseeable future. So please, no more teary-eyed emails about oh, listen, relax, okay. After the new year, all the pillboxes will get put up, and so we've got everything that was from the premium period will be available if you need that. New shows will come. I don't know what the future holds business model-wise. I hate that term. But basically, I just want to do the show. Can't I just... Can't I just do the show? Can't we just make these recordings and have that be enough? I would love to. And in fact, so... I bought a new microphone, which you're hearing right now, and I'm using different software. Not, no, no, I'm just, and then, so I need a new mixer because every once in a while I have to stop and unplug my mic. For some reason, there's some weird buildup of electronic uh, fuss. Anyway, long story short, I think a guy in Connecticut who I'm, I, I don't think knows me at all. We, we kind of met through LinkedIn. I was on LinkedIn. You know LinkedIn. I was on LinkedIn and I was looking around for information about, um, you know, connecting microphones to the computer and what would be the quietest way. I want it to be quiet. You know, I want you to hear only my voice and then Joe Moenblow when he, he just left. That's what, that's why I had lunch is Joe Moenblow was outside making a racket. So, so I was on the forums or whatever on uh, in the podcasting, yada, yada, I don't know. And some guy was recommending this thing, this preamp thing that you plug your mics in or whatever. And he made some comment like, well, if you're going to use this sure such and such microphone. And I happened to write back and say, oh, I, I, you know, I've always I always loved those mics. I'd love to upgrade to that mic someday. But, uh, you know, in the meantime, I'm using this. So-and-so microphone, blah, blah, blah. And then this other guy says, you know, Dan, uh, I have two or three of those mics and you're welcome to them. Now, where I come from, you're welcome to them. The dog's here. You're welcome to them means that they're giving them to you, Right? That, that's what that means where I'm from. In the time that I'm from, in the locality from which I sprung, right? That, that, that kind of like middle class, middle management, whatever world that I was brought up in, that's what that means. I, and you're welcome to them means you can have them. Now my, so part of my brain is going, oh my God, I think there's no way. Because these microphones are not cheap, which is why I do not have one. These sure blah, 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 microphones are not. Can you stop shaking? Get it together, man. Am I making you nervous because I'm shouting into the microphone? You got to relax. Please take another nap. The dog has started urinating inside the house on a regular basis. But not just anywhere. The dog urinates on my wife's bedside table. Needless to say, it is irritating to my wife. My wife, who somehow manages to blame uh, yours truly 
for the dog having urinated on her bedside table. So if I had my way, I would strangulate the dog. Trust me. Anyway, blah blah. So I get I, this. Listen. So basically, the the it's not that interesting a tale, other than it's one of those Christmas miracles. I kind of make the decision, like, listen, Dan, you're definitely going to keep podcasting. You need this new equipment because your old equipment was cheap when you bought it seven years ago, and it's really honestly needs to be replaced. So I ordered a new microphone, and I was researching on this new thing, and then this guy says he's going to give me two dream microphones. So I think that is a sign from God, Allah, Buddha, Krishna, uh, Darwin, William Shatner, that I have made the right decision. And honestly, I'm not sure it was ever even up for debate. I just, you know, whatever. Anyway, this is my therapy. I cannot afford real therapy. I do not have the wherewithal because because sometimes I, I listen, I get depressed and I get psychotic. I start dreaming up these things in my mind. I, I start creating wedges between myself and my wife that don't really exist. I get annoyed with my kids about things that aren't really that annoying. But the truth is, and, and, and listen, I'm not going to discuss Connecticut school children and gun control and mental health issues. That's for another time or another podcast or something trust me i could do an hour solid on that whole thing but my insight on mental health is this if you're feeling slightly depressed which i i can get depressed or just kind of psychotically angry doctor you know what i mean what you need to do is find if you feel that that will help you a therapist and to find a therapist, you have to sit down and do that work. And to sit down and find a therapist, and Dr. A, you, please write a book about this. How, when you're, when you're fearing that you're suffering from depression, do you sit down and Google search shrinks? Because it doesn't take a split second. And nothing will open the trap door and shove you down into it, into your own personal pit of despair, quite like... <laughs> weaving through dozens and dozens of names of shrinks you've never heard of. That's why I fantasize. Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest with you. One of the listeners is a is a psychologist, and I I've already begun the transference. I'm putting all of my right because I right. She she found me. She's listening. She's listening right now. She's timing. I can't go over my allotted hour or her other patients get upset. I'm I, I keep I keep asking her to send me a recording of herself going, and how does that make you feel? And she won't do it. Well, she'll do it, but she'll charge me her hourly rate, which I think is bullshit. I have insurance, you know, doctor. I could send you my Blue Cross card number, whatever that is, and we could really, we could really do some work here. Listen, I'm, I'm sure you're a Freudian, and that's really all, right? If I had her saying into her, she could even just call on her iPhone, make an MP3 or something. Say, How does that make you feel? That's all. That's all it would take. I mean, that's really what these conversations are. These podcasts are, anyway, right? Again, free therapy for me. Now. Where were we going with that? I don't know. Basically, basically, so in a nutshell, my theory is 
we have mental health problems in this country partly because, um, you know, it's not like college where when you're in college, if you have a little problem, I think there's like a, you know, not just a resident advisor, but there is like a counselor assigned to your dormitory or whatever. And so if you ever need anything, you just go to that person. Well, in real life, it's not like that. So when you need someone, you're like, uh, I got a Yelp. I have to Yelp for a shrink. Do I go Freudian or Jungian? What do I do? Do I do some kind of new agey crystals bullshit or just or like a true, right, Austrian? Anyway, the reason, uh, yeah, so that's that. But listen, you know, you, uh, to, you, you know how I feel about gun control. You know how I feel about children. We're not going to go there. Although I will say some people, their, their uh, solution to any of these situations is, um, you know, they feel like instead of fewer of us being armed, that more of us should be armed. So now there's talk of arming, you know, teachers and school administrators. Listen, I don't know, maybe the people that feel this way don't have kids. There is no one on the staff of my kid's school that I would let back my car down a driveway. I'm not going to, you think, really, I'm supposed to arm the front desk crew at the school? you got to be kidding me. They can't take my daughter's temperature. She can crack her head open. It takes them a half an hour to figure out that they should call me, but we're going to give each one of them a Glock and an extra clip. You've got, no, come on. Seriously. Seriously. You've got to be kidding the janitorial staff, th those guys are qualified. And I know my, listen, my grandfather was a custodian. I don't mean to disparage people in the custodial arts, but their job is to sweep up, lock up, put sawdust on vomit. That's it. They are not, they are not paramilitary. Okay. Let's simmer down. Now let's talk about happy things like this. Because what I really hope for you in this world is to be uh, surrounded by beauty. Because, um, because I do. See, I spend a lot of time feeling uh, very alone. Even when my family is all in the house. Uh, there, there are still times where I feel very alone. And sometimes the only times then that I can kind of um, break out of that and not feel alone is when I'm allowing myself to realize how beautiful something is. And this is not, uh, you know, my normal just me checking out women all the time. It's a, it's a little deeper than that. Although I will say that, you know, one of the great perks of my life currently is I am often surrounded by beautiful women everywhere. I live with my wife and my daughter. I live in Southern California. There are, I mean, seriously, just driving around, there's always some beautiful woman either driving around or walking around the streets, manning a cash register or a bank telling uh, slot or whatever. I mean, just really constantly, constantly. And when, and when there's no one to, you know, to kind of see and interact with, then there's always Facebook. I'm either looking at pictures of you or your daughter, your niece, 
What are depending on the, you know, and, and granted, we've got we've made this weird, creepy transition at my age where, you know, my friends are starting to look like their mothers and their daughters are starting to look like they looked when they were in high school. And I, I'm wrapping my head around that. But my daughter, um, and yes, my daughter, the beautiful and talented Tulu, who I, whom, whom, who, I looked up the difference between who and whom, and now I, uh, whom you have seen, I think. Whom you have seen in her commercial by now. She is officially the star of the family, in my opinion. Not really. They both are. Both my kids. <sighs> She's a dancer. And she, in the summertime, joined the dance company at the school, the dancing school where she dances. And as you can imagine, being the holiday uh, season, it's recital time. Now, uh, when she was really young, and this is how, this may be an alarming thing, way things have changed. And this is all going to loop around, I think. So when she was really young, when she let's say when she was three or four, she went to this same school and took, quote unquote, you know, ballet or whatever. I mean, listen, when you're four years old, it's hurting cats, you know. But she had this teacher, this beautiful teacher, Miss Allie, that she just loved. And they would dance and she, you know, obviously got into it because she went back to it, right? So it definitely served its purpose. But part of what you do is you take these kids to dancing school and then at some point, they have a recital. And when T was tiny, we went to her winter recital. And my, you know, my parents came. My mother got the flu. I think I had the flu, and I gave it to my mother at the recitals. It was not good. And Tulu was definitely in that herding cats phase. At four or five. And I distinctly remember, and don't judge, just bear, bear me out on this. Okay? Doc, when my daughter was four, see, you have to understand, it's all about normal, like right, all of Dan's theories of relativity and normalness, right? And I can't even remember what my other one was. It has something to do with age. I don't know. Anyway, my point is, so my daughter, so my daughter was four. So in my mind and in my heart and in my loins, your daughter is four, okay? So when my daughter was four, and we'd go to the recital. Now, the recital, the age of the, obviously, mostly young women, dancing at the recital when my daughter was four was, let's say, three years old to 18 or 19. And as you can imagine, an 18 or 19 or 17, 17 18, 19-year-old dancer does not look like your four-year-old daughter. So when you're used to being around your four-year-old daughter and you're taking your four-year-old daughter to preschool and that's around four-year-old daughters and everybody's daughter and son is about four years old, then that's how old sons and daughters are. They're four. And then you go to a dance recital and you've been used to being around four-year-olds or seven-year-olds because maybe the brother's seven or eight or whatever. That's it, man. That's how old kids are. And so you're at the recital and then suddenly the, the right, they haul out the 18 year olds and they're doing a Fosse number with black tights and bowler hats. It's a bit shocking. And wonderful, because really, honestly, there is nothing like watching a woman in her prime perform Fosse. Now, you know me, I hate musical theater. I hate it. But, you know, I love some Fosse. 
Uh, B.B. Newworth and some high heels and black tights and a leotard and a bowler hat and just doing like, right? Something from all that jazz. I don't know, man. Just work with me here. So, so that's what happens. Your daughter's four. You go to recital. The, the older teenage girls look like women to you, man. I'm sorry. They are, right? They've crossed a line where they are young women and you should not be judged and keep in mind that I was younger then I not, was not as old then as I am now so it wasn't as weird as you are why I don't know why you're even see you're not open to my th- you're not right you're not taking this you're ju- you're putting this into you're putting this into your normal puritanical context and not my Dan who's really only 17 honestly even though he's becoming an old man, right? You're not going with me. So now my daughter's nine. And my son is 13, right? So now when I go to the recital and my son is 13 and my daughter is nine, the four-year-olds look like fetuses that have no business being on a stage that's just embarrassing and <laughs> why why are we doing this to me you know what I'm, why 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 can't you just have a special separate four-year-old recital where the girls come on in little tutus and stand in place while a song plays and all the moms take pictures and then they leave and then we come in and watch the actual dancing but wherein you know my daughter was tiny and then the teenage girls were young women now my daughter is nine and my son is 13 and the teenage girls uh, are teenage girls and listen they're very talented and very attractive young women but it's not it right it didn't have the same impact as when my daughter was four it's different now because i can i relate to them now as being the age of my children Right. Those girls are 13, right They're They're essentially my kids age where before my daughter was just four. And so in my brain, they had, you know, hips and chests and, uh, you know, shoulders and the whole thing. And so I thought of them as being young women. Now, they're t- now here, here's the whole reason I bring this up. Really, one of the only things that keeps me from just offing myself is my insatiable need to enjoy beautiful women, the sight of beautiful women, beautiful, smart, intelligent women. And if they're not smart and intelligent, I, from a distance, I just try to like lay that on top of them, right? Because really a stupid, really hot woman is, is not that attractive to me. But if I see a woman that looks attractive and I can kind of pretend like maybe she has a PhD in uh, uh, Russian literature or something, that's hot, man, right? Okay, so here's my fear. Because again, I'm telling you, the only thing really kind of sometimes just keeping my head in the game at all, and I don't just like cave in on myself mentally, is right seeing beautiful women. What if, what what happens when my daughter is 25 or 30, is everyone going to seem like a child to me? And if so, what? why am I going to even get up in the morning? What, what? What is the point of living when there are no, right? 
I don't even know how to articulate it. It's such a scary thought. I can't even begin to imagine a world where I'm driving around or walking around or I go to Whole Foods or Target and all the girls just seem like girls. You know, little girls, like my daughter's age, like my daughter's age. They all seem like daughters. I don't want to check out daughters. I want to check, right? So maybe I'm dealing with an, a fear of aging, but it's really not a fear of aging. It's a fear of my daughter aging and my baseline for my daughter's age. And then relative to that, the other way, right? Or when I'm older, do or just like... I mean, are 70-year-old women's going to look hot? Oh, women's. Listen to me. I'm getting so, right? This is this is really debilitating. When I'm 70, are like 60-year-old women going to look really young and hot to me? That is kind of a scary thought. It's just, it's just unnerving when you can go to a dance recital and be that blasé about it. That's all I'm saying. When you can actually go, oh, she was, you know, she was really lovely and talented, period. You know what I mean? That's just, uh, that's some, there's something horrible about that. That maybe as I get older, I'm becoming less of a lech. That's just wrong. My entire identity is just slipping away from me. Well, what happens is, so, my, like I said, my daughter's new to this dance company. And it's a wonderful dance company. We love them. We love them all. So this is not a story about how they're idiots. It's a story about how we're idiots. But the problem is, see, this is our first year with my daughter being in the company. And so we don't really know what to do. So, um, like, they, had, they, they marched, not, well, they marched, I, I mean, I guess they danced, basically, in a parade a couple of weeks ago. But the week before that, they did something at the high school in the same town. Now, the dance school is sort of in El Segundo. It's really, like, emotionally, it's in Manhattan Beach. But literally, it's in El Segundo. I'm trying to think of a good analogy. The only analogy I can make is, do you watch Parks and Rec? Okay, El Segundo is Pawnee. Manhattan Beach is Eagleton, okay? So emotionally, the dance school is in Eagleton, even though technically it's in Pawnee. So the, the girls were going to march slash dance in the Pawnee Main Street Parade, which I will now refer to as El Segundo because that's really what it is. So, and the, but then two weeks before that, they did something at the El Segundo High School, and it was really nice. It was on a Saturday night, and... Um, you know, we were running late, so the boys went ahead of the girls, and it was kind of raining, which was kind of horrible. But this, the high school had this big kind of quad area in the middle, and all these lights, and the stage, and a band, and this and that. And the girls did their dances, and my daughter's in this this dance number that they do to, I guess it's a Sarah McLaughlin song. Is that how you say her name? McLaughlin. I haven't said her name since 1991. I kind of forgotten how it was pronounced there. Um, does she have a song called Hands? I don't know. All, all I know is my nine-year-old daughter and her group, they were just in this glorious, gorgeous, just really beautifully done dance number. And so we go to that, and then, like I say, a week or two later, they're marching down that whole main street there in El Segundo. And I've gotten into this bad habit where we keep getting emails from the dance school. And I always assume, and this is part of my, you know, 
organizational problems, apparently. I always assume that I'm going to be able to find the information I need in these emails. And then part of the problem becomes, well, but there's 50,000 emails, Dan, and you should have pulled the information you thought you might need out of there and, and you know, filed it away somehow. But then the other part, the other problem is it's our first year and they think everyone, you know, when there's 100 people in the company and only one of them really doesn't know where to go for the day of the parade, that, that can be bad because they don't really, like, oh, by the way, Tulu, <laughs> you know. So on parade day, we're running behind schedule. So the boys go one way and the girls are getting changed back at the dance school and no one's at the dance school because they're all at the parade. So H and I go to the high school. Because we think, for some idiotic reason, that's where we're all supposed to meet. And we're walking around the high school, and there's no one at the high school. Except the high school marching band. And they are practicing, and we don't know what the hell's going on. And so we're just standing around, you know, we, so finally, I, I guess I did. I don't even know why I'm telling you this story, because it doesn't, it has nothing to do with anything. Other than this is how I've been spending my life is wondering where I'm supposed to be and when and what Toulouse supposed to be wearing and how much and how often, how long with the makeup, without the makeup, the hair up, the hair down. But it's one of those things where you march from one end of the town to the other. So where do you put the car? At the beginning, at the end, in the middle, somewhere where we had accidentally parked in the middle and we're just like, F it. We'll just walk to the beginning and then we'll walk the whole thing, you know, whatever. Well, so many people turn out for the parade in El Segundo. I can't imagine who wasn't in the parade from El Segundo. Cheerleading squads, marching bands, dance academies, the guys from the junktruck.com or whatever. Clowns. Dudes on like tricked out uh bmx bikes not even really bmx bikes just like tricked out bikes like if peewee herman was a badass that kind of bike like uh right and maybe this is what i you know because I've, ha- I've been having trouble getting into christmas it's here and we keep watching the movies and listening to the music and i'm just still like meh But as I'm walking along with the dance company, trying to videotape them doing their dance, their sleigh bell dance, you know, really, every once in a while, I would allow myself to catch the light. And, you know, El Segundo is this little town kind of in L.A., but not in L.A. It's kind of of its own thing. Very much a small town, even though it's right next to the airport. And the hometown girls marching in the parade, singing their songs or dancing their dances or twirling their batons and the guys on their bikes and the firemen and the policemen and the mayor and the city town planning commissioner whatever whatever because there's part of me that regrets being here all the time there's part of me that wishes i could live here and try to do what i'm trying to do but also bring my kids up um, the way that my wife and I, you know, were brought up. Because I said to my wife the other day, you know, our son has never just like with his friends gone out and hung out in the woods. You know, just like got an hour to kill. Let's just go wander. Around. Like he's never done that. 
because he lives here. There's no, trust me, there's no woods. I wouldn't, I mean, where's the nearest woods? I haven't a clue. That's flappy. But I guess in a way, maybe we are trying to split the difference and I didn't even realize it because they're marching down the street of Main Street. And it could have, you know, it was El Segundo, it could have been Pawnee, it could have been Fairport, it could have been anywhere. It was pretty great. Because I grew up in the suburbs. My dad worked for a big company. And he would commute from the suburbs into town, into the city of uh, mostly Rochester, New York, right? And if that's what you know, that's kind of what you expect. And if that's what you expect, then you kind of feel, unless you really just want a bucket, you know what I mean? Unless you're just like, I don't want to raise my kids the way I was. You know, there was nothing wrong with the way I was raised. I don't think, except that I'm a psychopath. But aside from that, aside from the bone-crushing, you know, whatever. So um, let me take a sip of Coke. But the day of the, which one was it? I guess it was the day of the thing at the high school. My son had a robotics tournament the next day. And so he was with his buddies doing robot stuff the day before. That Saturday. So Saturday was going to be robotics. And then we had Toulouse dance thing. And then we'd been invited to this party. At our friend's house, our friends that have the white elephant gift thing. Remember the Buddha butter story? Yeah, that that party, that annual Christmas party. We were invited again and we were going to go and it was that Saturday. But we weren't sure if we could make it because, you know, we had to lose thing and we didn't know how long that was going to go. There was supposed to be a band or some sort of small orchestra that they were going to dance with. They were going to do their normal dances. And then there was going to be a break and then an orchestra was going to play. And we'd really, you know, we can't skip out on this stuff because, you know, she's in dance numbers with the rest of the group. You can't just split, right? So that Saturday, I guess, I'm trying to think, I guess I'd been running errands or something. And I was on my way to pick up Hudson at Robotics. And you can't tell the kids this because we haven't gotten into this with the kids, so don't. If you don't mind, don't post anything about this on Facebook or the website or whatever. Because it's just the sort of thing that you don't want to explain to kids uh, right before Christmas. So I'm driving through the neighborhood. I'm shortcutting to get over to the school because you've got to go around the bluffs. And I'm going west through the neighborhood and then I'm going to go down and I am going through the neighborhood, and I, and I see Hudson's friend. I was like, oh, I thought that guy was supposed to be in robotics. And as I see the friend, my dad is calling me on the telephone, which is unusual because my dad doesn't call me. My mother calls me. My dad doesn't call me. My dad doesn't talk. That's another show. And he explains that my mother... Now, both of my parents have been in and out of the hospital. Uh, you know, it's been a while. It's been, I mean, it's, it's been a couple of years now. They're not young. I'm not young. Listen, I'm lucky to have parents. Um, 
My dad calls and says as I'm driving through the driveway, or through the neighborhood, on my way to get Hudson, that Saturday, uh, I guess your mom, I just, I just took your mom to the hospital. It looks like she's had a mini stroke. But she's fine. I'll let you know how she's doing tomorrow. <laughs> and he goes to hang up. Now, this is my dad. That is my dad in a nutshell. Hey, Danny, it's your dad. Uh, listen, I just took your mom to the hospital. Looks like she maybe had a mini stroke. Uh, you know, she's doing okay now. I'll, I'll call you tomorrow and let you know what's going on. And if he had had his way, honestly, he would have hung up. So like, dad, 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 what? <laughs> and as I'm saying this, I'm waving to Hudson's friend. Hi, Hudson's friend. Dad, what, what did you just, what, what are you talking, what do you, what happened? So without getting into, basically my mother had a mini stroke. She had some dizziness and was speaking in tongues and uh, writing in tongues and she had to be taken to the hospital. She had to be taken to the hospital and I had to go to a dance recital and a party. And my mother's had a stroke. And so I'm trying to put a face on it, a smiling, jovial, it's Christmas time. <laughs> it's Christmas time face. Have another beer. Sure. Uh. So the next day we're at the robotics tournament in uh, whatever town it was in. I don't remember. I don't remember how Hudson and I even got there. I don't remember what time we arrived. I think we had a map and directions. His friends were there. His friends' moms were there. Moms that I'm friends with. And I think they did okay. I just buried myself behind the camera and tried to keep everything in focus. And it rained. And I, you know, when you're hiding behind the camera and there's some, you know, life is going on, it's easy to kind of ignore the things you're trying to ignore, to put out of your mind the things that you're trying to keep out of your mind. But eventually I had to call the hospital. I had to talk to my parents. And I don't typically get that pessimistic about these things, partly because I just don't, and partly I think it's out of denial. But I called, and I got my mom. And she sounded pretty good. Tired, but good. Now that morning, before we left, I, I had Googled mini-stroke. And a mini-stroke... And I'm getting a little fuzzy on it now because, again, my, my brain keeps trying to shove it all away. It isn't a stroke. It's kind of like a warning shot. And for the most, you know, to generalize, 
a mini stroke isn't permanently damaging. And so when I was talking to my mom, I was really listening because I wanted to hear her voice and her speech and her memory. See, my aunt, her aunt, Aunt Eula, had a stroke when I was a teenager. When I was a teenager, Aunt Eula had a stroke and lost her short-term memory. And she always looked very distressed about it. And whenever you came into the room, you had to act like it was the first time you'd come into the room because she didn't remember having seen you that visit. And you just knew that if you left the room, when you came back, you'd have to start all over again with Aunt Eula so you didn't dare leave. And for years, I joked about it after we kind of, you know, you deal with it and she passed on and, you know, it was decades ago. But as your mother is speaking into the phone very clearly and remembering everything, but she's explaining to you that the doctors keep telling her that she dodged a bullet. And the doctors tell her that she's got 30 days where she needs to relax. Because after a mini-stroke, you've got 30 days where the incidence, the likelihood of a stroke stroke is very high. 30 days of playing it cool. And talking to my mother, she sounds like she gets it. She sounds like she heard it and she believes it. She understands it. She's going to be cool. She's not going to stress it. And she has an MRI and it looks good and she's not going to stress it. But Christmas is coming. And so I talked to her a couple days later and said, Hey, Mom, how you doing? You taking it easy? Oh, yeah. You know, got the tree up. Really, Mom? You got, you had to, okay. <laughs> you really had, you had to put the tree up this, this, today, did you? With the taking it easy and the relaxing, that, that seemed to be a good relaxing thing to do, is put up the tree. Maybe I'm overreacting. Can you just lie on your bed for the next 28 days? Can we, can, can we just have a kind of a pact that that's what you're going to do? But we react to things in different ways. She puts up the tree and gets out the decorations and sets up the little village of, you know, whatever those buildings are that I always call Studio 54. What are those buildings that women of her generation love? You know what I'm talking about? Studio 46? Studio 56? Studio 50? I don't know. My parents came to the big recital that was this weekend. My mom looked great. She looks a little stressed, but she looked great. And I know I'm that age, and I'm not being naive, where this, you know, 
this is life. This is the circle of life. She said to me, you know, Danny, I'm not 30 anymore. Yeah, I know. Hell, I'm not 30 anymore. But when they put a timer on it, on some level of it, that 30-day countdown, like she's a ticking time bomb, it really accelerates your, <laughs> your thinking about it. You're wrapping your head around it. You get very nostalgic. You hope you've done everything that you hope you wanted to while they were here. And she's not gone, and she, hopefully she won't be gone for a long time. But it does make the clock bigger and brings it into much sharper focus. Twenty more days. So that's it for the bitterest pill for today and I guess for uh, 2012. Thank you for listening, my friend. Um, so yeah, you will probably, you know, you will definitely, trust me, not hear from me until after the new year. So happy 2013. I welcome it with open arms. And hey, listen, so one of the things I have been doing since we last spoke is I was working on this. Well, okay, so... Yeah, I, I, every Christmas I get it in my head that I want to write a bunch of Christmas stories and then publish them, and I never do. And I'm sure many of you remember because I I must have read it or get I don't know, but there was there's a story called um, Oh Christmas Tree that dates back to very early I think the first Christmas of the Bitterest Bill, which is how long I can put things off. But so then last year I wrote a couple paragraphs of something that I wanted to finish this year. And I thought, oh, you know, it'll be a couple pages. It'll be kind of cute, and I'll throw it online. And the thing ended up really kind of taking on a life of its own. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you're interested in reading uh, the latest whatever from yours truly, inspired by but never having been mentioned ever on The Bitter's Pill, it is called For Not Waiting for Christmas. You can read it on Wattpad by searching Dan Class, I'm pretty sure. But also, if you just go to thebitterstpill.com, um, there will be links in the show notes for this show. And then uh, if you're listening to this in December of 2012, maybe I'll put a link or something. You know, on the sidebar, something I'll make it easy for you to find. But it's uh, uh, it's called For Not Waiting for Christmas. I'll uh, It's uh, in EPUB format, PDF format. Or uh, just go to Wattpad, W-A-T-T-P-A-D. What's that sound? You hear that sound? I'm using a different microphone, a new mic, and I think I can hear someone vacuuming three houses away. Either that or it's too close to my monitor. I don't know what's happening. Anyway, my computer, you know. 
So yes, please check out For Not Waiting for Christmas by yours truly, Dan Class. Uh, EPUB, PDF, whatever, whatever. Also, if um, if you um, are a fan of J.C. Hutchins of Seventh Son fame, my story uh, contribution to the Seventh Son Obsidian is available at his website as part of his super deluxe buy them all at one time, whatever. It's like the... <laughs> I don't know, JC's insane because it, it, it's some sort of incentive thing like, ooh, if you buy them all at once, you get Dan's story too. Ah, the guy's insane. Anyway, that's what I've been doing. But we will be back in Better Than Ever in January. Please uh, stay tuned. Keep an eye on me on Facebook. Or uh, Twitter at uh, Twitter, which is uh, you know at Dan Class. That's all I have to say. That's it for this year. Listen, um, thank you for hanging in there. I hope you have happy holidays. Uh, yeah, you know. All right, all right. Thank you. We will talk soon. Bye bye. The Bitter's Pill is produced by Jacket Media, makers of fine podcasts since 2004.